Welcome back to QAV episode 530, recorded this day of our, uh, I don't know, who are we worshipping today? Well, it's always Warren Buffett. That's Buffett, yeah. Charlie Munger, one or the other. This day yeah. of our Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the 2nd of August, uh, 2022, 2822. How are you, TK? Yeah, good. It's a beautiful sunny day in Sydney today. Wow. Lovely. Do you remember what that looks like? Yeah. <laughs> How come you're not out playing golf? Uh, booked in to play tomorrow, played on Sunday. So, yep, making hay while the sun shines. How'd you go? Did you shoot under par, above par? Another, nowhere near par, under my handicap, which was good. Why, after you've been playing golf all these years, why aren't you uh, on par? I know. I should be, shouldn't I? I'm like these muso friends I had when I was at uni, and I see them on Facebook now, and they haven't improved. But they've been doing it for the last 40 years, and I think, yeah, that's just like golf with me. Yeah, chess with me too. Yeah. been playing chess since I was six years old. I'm still no good at it, but uh, I love it. Yeah, exactly. You do it because you enjoy it. Yeah, that's right. Let's get into the news of the week, Tony. Aluminium is now a buy, thanks to Duncan, QAV Club member, for pointing that out to us. So that means that we can buy... Things again, like in theory, CAA, but I checked it yesterday and it was still below its second buy line. But uh, in theory, it's back on the buy list. Why is aluminium now a buy again, do you think? Oh, I couldn't say, sorry. Chances are it's just that it's dropped so far, it's people are buying it again. I don't know. Uh, CCP issued some results today, Tony, and they fell like 16% in a heartbeat. I saw that. Uh, I know. But they've recovered a bit uh, last time I checked. They're still down 10% when I checked before yeah, we started recording. Yeah, still down 9.3% according to my stock app. But apparently, it's interesting, there was some interesting commentary by a QAV Club member, Paul. He read through their report, their results that came through. He says, it's a funny one. They reached the top end of revised guidance in a very soft market, but failed to reach the consensus target and so got punished. Everything in the report says their progress into the US is going very well, except for labor shortages, which they are filling with a new call center in the Philippines. Lending volumes, market share in the US are increasing, while Australia and New Zealand are flat as the market is mature, a fact the company recognized a few years ago and pushed into the US. I think they are now the number three collector in the US in a short space of time. All in all, looks like market overreaction to me. I should also point out that the guidance given in this report is basically the same as last financial year, meaning little to no growth is forecast in the next 12 months as they buy debt ledgers. So that's a legitimate reason for people to sell, I guess. i just add to that comment, sorry, Cam. The, um, Thomas Barigi, the, the CEO, is, has a history of lowballing guidance at the start of the year and then upgrading during the year. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's going to happen again this year. Yeah, that's what it said in the fin as well. JP Morgan analyst Russell Gill in a note to clients said the guidance would disappoint the market, but Credit Corp's investments in the previous year would release substantial cash flow through this year. Quote, to redeploy capital as the debt ledger market recovers, end quote. He also pointed out Credit Corp's guidance was traditionally conservative. It is. They're just known for under-promising and over-delivering. But the market uh, dumped them. On that news this morning. It's a cruel mistress, the market. <laughs> I've had a few of those in my time, Tony. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's exciting at first. <laughs> but eventually, 
Yeah, enough about Credit Corp. Tell us some more <laughs> about your mistresses. <laughs> Um, more crazy than cruel. I have to ask vicariously. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you do, Tony. Just one last point about Credit Corp. And if there is a recession, and it's a technical recession at the moment in the US, then they will underperform. That's just a fact of what they do. For example, they'll buy a, a debt ledger with an assumed collection rate to it. And if we go into a recession and that collection rate proves not to be the case because people just can't pay, it's not, not situation normal, then um, they, they will uh, make less of a margin on those debt ledgers that they buy. If you buy a debt ledger, aren't you always buying the debts for somebody who can't afford to pay it back? What does it matter if it's in a recession <laughs> or not? Isn't that well, why they have a debt ledger business in the first place? Kind of. I mean, what they basically do is to say, okay, the, you know, these are the people who can't pay their power bill, for example. But their experience would have said that, uh, you know, half the people won't be able to pay, but the other half probably will if we work with them and work out a repayment plan and check up on them and remind them and all that kind of stuff. But in the recession, if the half that they had banked on paying lose their jobs, then no amount of reminders or working with them is going to get that money paid. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Tom asks if you can do a pulled pork on PBP. He says the CEO is a local in his neighbourhood and a good fella. I said, well, you should get him on the show. Yeah, we can do that. Yep, it won't be for a week or two. We've got Seoul today and somebody asked for Kelly Partners, which we'll do next week, and then we can do PBP after that. All right, you're on the list, Tom. Tell your CEO, mate, to get ready because uh, <laughs> when we do a pulled pork... Oh, our lawyers quake in their boots when we do a pulled pork. <laughs> <laughs> so do our investors. Share price is guaranteed to go down by 10% the day we put that episode out. Uh, let me ask you about MLD, Tony. Macca. I uh, added it to one of our portfolios yesterday after it was on the buy list and uh, had passed its second buy line. Then I find out. It's under a $350 million takeover offer from Thies and, yeah, probably not going anywhere. That's why we say do your own research before you buy. (laughs) (laughs) I bought 10 stocks yesterday (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so should I not have bought it in this condition? I had a quick look when I saw your question. I don't think you should have bought because it's basically trading at the takeover price, the offer price. So you can buy it and hold it, and that would be in the hope that somebody else comes in with a higher takeover. But the current one's been recommended by the directors, or they say they're going to accept. Yeah, you can still get another offer coming in, but that generally is kind of game over. So share price is trading maybe one or two cents below the offer price, so the market think it's going to happen. And you're taking on the risk of it not going ahead for ACCC reasons if they block it or the Foreign Investment Review Board could block it. Unlikely, but they could. Or I think there's a condition in the takeover, you've got to get 90% of acceptances for it to go through. So if uh, some people don't accept, then that could scuttle it as well. So I think on the balance of probabilities, you're probably too late into this one. So I wouldn't have bought it. Should I sell it or just hold on now, do you think? I think you should sell it. Unless another big comes in, which is still possible, but unlikely, then you're just going to get like one or 2% return. And it's going to take time for the takeover to play out, get the acceptances in, get the approvals done. You could be waiting for a long time for that money to hit your account. 
So the lesson for me is either should I have done a little bit more work, background research on this before I bought it, or is it just uh, bad luck? A bit of both. I mean, I, if it's a stock I haven't been following closely, I'll Google it before I buy it and just see if there's any news out there I'm not aware of. So that would have picked it up straight away. This one's an interesting one too. I guess it, maybe it's a bit different from some, but we like it crossed the byline because of the takeover offer. So it's not like it's starting an upward trend through normal market activities. It's started one and it's probably not going to go on. All right. To-do items. Sell <laughs> Macca. All right. Very sad. My son Taylor told me this morning that the crypto that he bought in January, Ethereum, was down 60%. Oh, good. So I just, how oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times do you have to do that before they learn? <laughs> he said, oh, it'll, it'll go back up. It'll go back up. It might take we've a couple been, of years, but it'll go back we've up. We've been talking <laughs> to Taylor about crypto for at least the last two years, maybe three. Three, yeah, at least. <laughs> and he was really cranky at us for a while because it did go up. Anyway. There you go. He said, oh, my, t- my QAV portfolio is down just as much. And I go, well, if you're following a rule one, you're selling at 10%. How can it be down 60%, you bloody nong? His QAV portfolio is down 60%. It's not. He's just talking no. through his ass. Okay. All right. R- uh, Rio? Rio, Tony. Rio. Yeah, I just noticed they were one of the first cabs off the rank with results. And it is reporting season. We should, we should mention to people to stay close to their alerts and stay close to Stock Doctor and stay close posts of the Fin Review, which will start to report the results as they come through. Credit Corp's reported, Rio's reported. So Rio's come in with a score of 0.16, but it's still a Josephine. So uh, they're one of the biggest stocks on the buy list at the moment. And uh, they're not caught up in any commodity sell situations? Yeah, well, they're iron ore. So yeah, we're still waiting for... Um, iron ore's a Josephine. Iron ore's a Josephine too, yeah. Interestingly enough, I had looked today prepping for the show. It's kind of like halfway between a second buy line and a sell. So it could go either way at this stage, iron ore, I think. But it's up like 5% today. So I was trying to work out why, but I couldn't see anything in the news about that either. All right. What else have you got on your list of things to talk about, TK? Yeah, well, the market does seem to be turning. Anyone out there who is into ETFs and LICs maybe will have noticed that Australian Foundation Investments back to being a buy again after being a sell a month or two ago. So the market's turning. JHG, so Janus Henderson Group, is back on the buy list. Uh, Horizon, AZJ, a buy is now two big cap stocks. ABA was last time I looked. I haven't checked it today, but it may well be back there. Predacorp was, and I haven't checked it today to see if it's gone back below its sell price, but um, it was on the buy list. So, yeah, I think the market seems to be turning. And I think uh, Alex Hay coined it best. He sent me a a piece of research today which said that this is the bad news is good news rally. So basically, the Fed in the US has said they're not going to tighten or they're not going to raise interest rates as, as quickly as some people think because the US is in a technical recession. And therefore, they shouldn't be raising interest rates as quickly to try and protect the economy. And the market's rallying on that basis. So it's kind of topsy-turvy at the moment. Could just be a dead cap bounce, but it certainly seems like there are... I'm certainly buying more at the moment when I've been sitting on cash up until now. So interesting time in the market. Yeah. As I said, I bought 10 stocks yesterday just trying to catch up on not having been able to buy much for the last couple of months. Uh, Let's talk about... uh, Owner-managed companies on the ASX, Tony. 
Yeah, I came across an article by a chap called Matt Williams from Early Funds Management, and it was in Livewire last week. And he said that uh, the owner-managed companies on the ASX outperformed the S&P ASX 200 accumulation index over the last five years by 107%, which is quite a bit. So I guess that's uh, justifying putting owner founders in the checklist. But it'd be good to talk to him further about that because the article didn't have any other filters, right? So there are some owner founder companies which are like tech stocks and high growth stocks, which you know makes some sense. Stocks like WiseTech Global, which has been um, buying up other logistics software companies around the world. It's growing fast and has an owner founder. But then the more traditional ones, one we'll talk about soon, Washington H. Sol Patterson, which has been around for a long time, and the Milner families have been running that uh, since inception over, over 100 years ago. And then other ones like ARB, which is what one that I tend to keep an eye on, and Favor has been a well-run company as well. So there's certainly something in it, and it'd be good to just explore further whether he just invests early funds investments in owner-founder companies or whether he puts some other filters over it too. It'd be good to know. Well, I'll reach out to him, see if we can get him on. Yeah, thanks. Let's talk about the portfolio before we move on too much further. I had a look this morning at the DP. Congratulations to everyone who got a, got some laughs out of me using the term DP a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> on the BBC. <laughs> yes. I'm shocked that you know these terms, Tony. I'm a little bit, little bit disappointed. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> uh, since inception, the DP is up uh, nearly 18%, 17.85% CAGA annualised PA. Versus the SBDR 200 up 6.26% over the same period. So we're still doing roughly three times better than the All Lords since inception. But closer to home, this financial year, yeah, it's not looking so good. Not a good start to the financial year. The last year has been bad for us, but the um, SBDR's up 10%. Uh, this financial year, just in July, versus Apple Folio up 4.3%. 10 percent is a lot, isn't it? So the market has turned. Market's definitely turned, yeah. In the last one year, the 200's up 0.16%. We're down, no, sorry, it's, no, it's down 0.16% over the last 12 months. We're, um, we're down 6.65% over the last 12 months has not been a great year for us. Yep. Underperforming in the short term. It's not unusual. It's the long term that counts. There'll be periods when we underperform the market. And just recently too, we've had a lot of cash in the portfolio. So as we start to redeploy that, which I think we should catch up and pass the ASX. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? Got a pulled pork? Yeah. Just before I do the pulled pork on performance, the top movers. So the Vexa sent me a monthly summary this week. Top movers for the month in the dummy portfolio was NHC up 27%, IGL up 25%, and the reject shop up 18.4%. Mm, good old TRS. Even though we're underperforming, there's still some big moves there. Yeah, TRS is um, up like 19% in the last uh, just month, I think, last couple of weeks, because we, we only added it on the 11th of July. So in less than a month, it's up nearly 20%. It's had a good run. Didn't the CEO leave? <laughs> Is that what happened? I did. CEO yeah. left, share price skyrocketed. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be depressing. 
Yeah, that must be heartbreaking for the CEO. And the, the board will be there. I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> but the the reject shop again. If we do go into a recession, it, it's one of those counter cyclical stocks that that does well at bad times. Yeah, did very well during the first year of COVID. I recall because I owned it at the time. I think it went up eighty percent or something. All right, what else? Pulled pork. All right, go for it. Yeah, so I'm doing it on a, a listener's request. Uh, this is uh, SOL is the code, Washington H. Sol Pattinson and Co. Not quite on our buy list at the moment. So QAV score is only 0.08, which isn't very far away. But one thing that's happened to them in the last little while is they merged with a large listed investment company called Milton. And uh that's provided them with a fair bit of operating cash flow, which they didn't have organically. And so I wouldn't be surprised when they share their results, whether they've, uh, they score better for us uh, from a prop calf measure. Because the biggest issue with their numbers at the moment for us is their price to operating cash flow is uh, nine times, which is a bit over our, our hurdle rate. Interesting company. So thanks for the listener who asked uh, to ask us to talk about it. It's a very storied company. I mean, it's a great, it's, it really is an interesting story. If, uh, but It's worthy of a book if there hasn't been one written already or even a, a documentary. But um, it started off, uh, this company is the second oldest company publicly listed on the ASX. It was listed in 1903 when a couple of uh, pharmacists merged, Washington and Pattinson. And uh, they go right back into the early days of settlement in Australia in Pitt Street in Sydney. And... Uh, got together and, and merged their businesses. And over time, they sort of had both the, the chemist chain, but also the property associated with some of the chemist shops. And both of those did well for them and then started to branch out into other investments. And now is it's kind of like a mixture of a conglomerate and a listed investment company. So it's got part of its portfolios invested in businesses. So for example, they own 12% of TPG, the, the telephone, the, well, the telecom company, nearly 40% of New Hope Coal, NHC, which has obviously been doing very well for them in the last 12 months. I remember back when New Hope was actually just an investment in Washington Sol Pattinson like 20, 30 years ago. And uh, they eventually got so big, they eventually spun it out because it was crowding out their portfolio. And uh, I think they also kind of did it to take the heat off them as being one of the biggest coal miners in Australia as well. So they, it's now at arm length, arm's length, even though they still own a big share of it. They own 25% of a Singapore mobile company called Tuus, 43% of Brickworks, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Brickworks is a brick manufacturer. 29% of Apex Healthcare, 36% of Pengana Capital. So that's their big holdings. They then have 37% of their portfolio in large cap ASX stocks. So you know, your Woolworths and CSLs and CBAs and the like. And then they have um, small parts of the portfolio invested in uh, private equity, very small companies, emerging companies, they call it, a little bit in fixed interest and a little bit in property. So it's a bit like Berkshire Hathaway in that there's um, some listed, some 37%, probably a little bit more than that when you take the small ones into account, maybe 40% is in listed companies and then the rest is in big chunky holdings of, of other companies. But the company, even though it was listed in 1903, has always been run by someone from the, the family of the, of the founders. So the current, C, uh, the current chairman, sorry, is uh, Bob Milner, Robert Milner. He's the son of uh, the previous chairman, 
Jim Milner, who was the nephew of William Pattinson, who was the son of the guy who founded the company back in 1903. So it's always been in, in family ownership and only had four chair people over that time. They do make a, a bit of a highlight of the fact that all of their staff have been around for a long time too. So a bit like with Berkshire Hathaway, how they, they pride themselves on having people work for them for life. The same thing has happened with WHL. However, I did look up on their website and or their, their annual report and I think if I can pull out the figure, their 20-year performance is more like 13% CAGR. So not quite up there with um, the Berkshire Hathaway, even though I think they do model themselves a bit on that. Wanted to come back to a couple of other quirky things about WHL. The first one is their cross-ownership with Brickworks. So again, the company's been around for a long time. And back in the late 60s, I think it was 1969, they bought 44% of Brickworks and Brickworks bought nearly 43% of Washington Sol Pattinson's. And that was done as a takeover defense. So back in the sort of 70s when late 60s, 70s, 80s, when the corporate raiders were raising money and then trying to take over companies on the ASX. This company came up with their defense, which was that if, if they each own large chunks of each other, it's going to be harder for either of them to be taken over because they're not never going to vote for a takeover, right? So that practice is uh, now anachronistic. You can't do that under the current corporation's regulations. But because this was put in place in 1969, it, they don't have to unravel it. But there was a, a legal case last year. A fund manager perpetual took the cross ownership to the high court, where the high court ruled in favour of maintaining the cross ownership. And perpetual's reason for doing that was that they thought that the cross ownership was actually depressing the share price of both businesses. So because you could never take them over, there, there would never be a takeover premium in the share price, but also to if you were a fund manager who wanted to invest in Australian property, uh, you wouldn't buy Brickworks because it has all this other diversified portfolio through its ownership of Solpats. And likewise, if you were trying to buy like an, a fund that operated like an index, you wouldn't buy Solpats because it's got this big shareholding in Brickworks, which can be a cyclical company. So interesting situation there that um, it doesn't occur these days and people should be aware, aware of as well. I spoke about New Hope being spun out, which was a big deal for them, and the Milton merger as well. I think it'll be good longer term, but I think the Milton shareholders have seen the, their share their share value drop after the merge. But I think it'll be fine in, in the longer term. Let me go through the numbers, I guess. That's the background on Washington Soul Pat, interesting company. The numbers are yield is 2.5%, so not high enough to score for us, but it's okay. Financial health and stock doctor is strong and steady, which is good, good. As I said before, price to operating cash flow, 9.6 times, so too big. PE, 13 times, which means that uh, you know, the cash that's, that's um, coming in, is, is a lot of it's flowing through to the bottom line. I'm using a share price of $25.69, which was the share price on the weekend, which is just above net equity per share of $25.07. So it won't score for being less than book value, but it will score for book plus 30%. And it's below IV2 of 29.46. Growth isn't too bad, but it isn't meeting our, our hurdle of growth over PE being more than 1.5. It's currently 1.14, so it doesn't score for that. The directors own 12% of the company, and I suspect that that might be a bit light because I think the Milner family may have some shareholdings outside of 
the whatever company structure is owning their shares in, in WHSP. But they've got the yeah, directors have 12%, so it still scores for us on a, on a owner-founder basis. The price is below consensus forecast, which is a tick. Manually entered data, it's just below its uh, lowest PE over the last three years. So tick, it's just turned back up and become a new three-point uh, trend line buy. So it's a tick for that. Equity overall over the last five years is up, but it has bounced around a bit, so it scores a zero for that. So on the quality basis, it's 75%, 12 out of 16. And on the QAV score, it's 0.08, so just below our cutoff. So I was looking at their uh, chart, go back to just before the merger, late September 2021, they were trading about 38 bucks. They're now trading at 26. So they've, they're down 30% from where they were pre-merger with MLT. So um, I don't know why. No, nor I. I can't explain it. But um, yeah, it did go down. You would think a merger would make it a better company and therefore it would be worth more, right? You would think so, yeah. <laughs> In theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know either of those companies well enough to comment on that, but I, know, I did notice it went down. All right, so that's Sol. Not a buy, but uh, interesting company nonetheless. As you say, a storied history. All right, so are you ready to get into Q&A, TK? Yeah, sure. Q&A and V. Glenn asks, on this week's podcast, you and Tony were discussing the difference in the iron ore charts and the differences. If it's useful, I think I tried, possibly badly, to explain in my email below. Basically, hoping this makes sense, Tony references Stock Doctor Iron Ore, which is a 62% iron ore grade. Your reference in the weekly buy list is for a 63.5% grade, e.g. higher content of iron ore per tonne. That would be the trading uh, data. or Trading economics. Yeah, that one, graph. If you want some detailed research, send me a report that has the wine selection of iron (laughs) ore blends. From what I can tell, Tony's Stock Doctor reference is more matched to miners in WA as it's rated as the Pilbara blend, which would be your FMG, BHP, and Rio miners. He, uh, there's a link here to this report that says, Platts considers the following iron ore medium grade finds brands for these assessments. Pilbara blend finds, Newman high grade finds, Brazilian blend finds, Sounds like coffee so far. Mining area C finds and Jimbledar finds. According to the typical specifications of these brands, unless notified of specific cargo quality, Platts continuously reviews whether brands cease to be or become sufficiently fungible to be considered in the IODEX and TSI 62% FE assessment process. There is a different reference in trading economics you could use, and he sends me a link. This is the same grade that Tony mentions in Stock Doctor. Hope this is useful. Regards, Glenn. All over my head, my pay grade, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, it's similar to me. I think what Glenn is, well, my takeout from this was that uh, 62% is probably the most relevant to Australia because it covers BHP, Rio, FMG, and anyone else from the Pilbara. Whereas, yeah, there are other grades of iron ore finds is the blend, F-I-N-E-S. So Brazil has a different one. Jimbal Bar, which I hadn't heard of before, has a different one. So yeah, I think 62% is probably the right one to use for Australia anyway. Well, I'll have a double espresso of Pilbara (laughs) just with a little, little macchiato sort of froth on the top. Thank you very much, Barista. You need to add some iron to your diet, do you? 
<laughs> no, the opposite. I need to get iron out of my diet. I'm, uh, I suffer from hemochromatosis. Well, my father had that. Yeah, it's very common. So did mine. Okay. Got to keep the iron down or I'll uh, turn into Iron Man. <laughs> Here's one from Tom. What's everyone's thoughts? Does this count as a red flag bad news cell? Yowl, down 12% this morning. This is uh, going back a few days. Uh, this was related to news that Glencore was selling its stake in Yankol, $293 million. I ended up having to sell Yowl because it real wound on me as a result of this. But um, what, do, what do you think of this kind of news, Tony? Would you normally see that as bad news or just business as usual? Well, I'd put it in the business as usual camp. I don't think it's bad news per se. So, And Tom's provided us with a link to an article about it. And in that article, Glencore said their holding wasn't a core holding and they've been trying to sell it for years. So I think it's more likely that they've just had a high price on it, which is finally being met by somebody. So I wasn't too worried about it. The thing that struck me more so was that uh, it hasn't been disclosed yet who bought this uh, stake, but if people remember, Yankol has two big shareholders and now Glencore, which had 6%, has just been taken out. If it was taken out by one of the other big shareholders, there's even less free liquidity in the stock. And I had a look in Stock Doctor at the ADT and the ADT, I think, was about $2.5 million for this stock. $2.047 million according to Yahoo Finance. Yeah, so 2.6 is ADT and Stock Doctor. So Yahoo Finance might be more accurate. But the truth of the matter is that that big trade from Glencore's boosted the average up. So I just did some quick back-of-the-envelope numbers, and I reckon the ADT is more like half a million dollars for this stock once you back out the big trade recently. You can see it in the shareholder graph and people have Stock Doctor and go into the shareholder page. It gives you a 12-month liquidity graph for the stock and it's in most sort of times it's down around as low as 200,000 and up as high as about 900,000. But then the Glencore trade went through at 19.5 million or part of it did anyway. And uh, that's boosted the average up. So just be careful with Yankol. $500,000 ADT is still going to suit most people, but um, potentially this sale is making it more illiquid than it already was. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV Club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, 
We email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.